Welcome to episode 23.5 of Average Joe's Podcast. My name is Mike Van Ehrman, your host, along with my co-host, Sam Hiller. A big thank you to Zygmus Maloney for providing the sweet uh, intro music that you just heard. Uh, this podcast is going to be completely dedicated to um, picks that people have made around the league towards uh, who is shining the most in this league, as well as uh, what is going on in the league as far as issues. Uh, a couple of issues are refereeing, uh, a governing body, and sportsmanship. So we're going to touch on those topics today, as well as a couple new uh, opportunities for rankings uh, that could potentially be Im- implemented uh, within the next couple of years. Uh, but first, I want to go and give a, he- uh, give a shout out to North Texas, who is playing in their first match ever this coming Friday, I believe it is. Um, and uh, Northwestern State, who's actually hosting their first home match. And uh, I believe this is their first match outside of Nationals in the last two or three years. So this will be a good opportunity for them to, uh, to get some work in before, before the big tournament this year. Um, having said that, we are going to go. We, Sam posted a poll on the Average Joe's Podcast Facebook page about what teams have shined the most this, so far in this early season. Uh, and Sam, if you want to go ahead and uh, give your picks, we'll go from there. Okay. Um, so I think I agree. Well, first we'll talk about the people that what everybody else said. So the rest of the league said um, Kentucky was the number one pick. Uh, the number two pick was Michigan State. The number three pick was Saginaw Valley, and then Grand Valley and Kansas State tied for number four. Um, I picked Kansas, or Kentucky. Uh, they're seven and one. They won the Ohio State round robin and the Kentucky invite. Well, I guess they're more than seven and one now. They won their tournament. Um, but I thought they played really well. Uh, the, for them to have so much depth, as we saw at the Maryland invite, and for them to keep playing after um, proving to us last year they're a good team to build on those steps, it's pretty impressive. I think uh, the number two team I thought was. Um, well, you say number one, two, and I'll say my number two. All right. I, uh, realistically, I would have gone with Kentucky as well uh, just because last year um, I didn't think that they were as good as the results that they showed. I mean, making it to the finals last year, I honestly didn't think that they were um, the number two team essentially in the nation. Um, but they have come out this year, and they were the first team that Michigan State played uh, this year. Kentucky was, and Kentucky was very impressive. And they re- and they really proved me wrong about you know them not being a top tier team in the country. I knew that they were talented. I knew that they were pretty good. Um, but Kentucky has really come to their own. They've really shown us that they can play with the best of them. Um, but I would also like to give some respect to uh, Saginaw Valley, who rebounded from, by their standards, a particularly poor showing at the OSU uh, invite. Um, they lost to Saginaw Valley, lost to Michigan State, Kent State in overtime, and Kentucky as well. So uh, they've rebounded from that, um, Saginaw Valley, and they actually ended up beating one of their arch rivals in Grand Valley in the Battle of the Valleys, two to one, which you know it's never an easy match between those two. So I think that they've they've gotten some of their key pieces back, and they would be my second place team, um, in my opinion. Uh, I would refuse to go along with the poll and say MSU because I think that MSU has a lot of work to do, um, and I think that Saginaw Valley, um, with their results against Grand Valley, uh, has have impressed me more than my own team has. Uh, for a number two team, I'm going to pick Michigan State. <laughs> Bias alert, I know. But, you know, it's not every year for Michigan State that we beat Central Michigan. It's actually been like one other time in our lives. 
So that was pretty cool. Um, and for them to be Central and Saginaw and be in third place in NCDA, it was pretty impressive for our team. Um, I know we're typically towards the top of the standings, but we never have like a seven and one record. That's pretty much our best. And to be on a seven game winning streak right now, I think is the longest in the country That's, right now. It's, it's got to be up there if it's not. Yeah, so I would say Michigan State would be my number two pick. Number three pick would be either Saginaw or Kent State. Um, Kent State is impressive, but not like overly so because I think we all we all figure they'd be number one in the country at this point, right? I, I would agree with that. Yeah, they the, with the schedule that Kent had released before uh, the season started, I figured that they would have uh, a good amount of points by this at this point in the season, um, but. I'm basing my my final decision off of play, and from what I've seen and heard from Saginaw Valley, uh, particularly at the Battle of the Valleys, that's why I'm giving my edge to Saginaw. Okay. Well, now focusing on a specific dodgeball issue. You guys suck. After termination is completed. And we're going to start off the issues portion of twenty episode twenty three point five with uh, something that affects us all. Um, it is the issue of refereeing. Um, it is definitely something that has a huge impact on every game. Uh, there's been a couple of, uh, of, of concerns raised over refereeing in the last couple of weeks, so we felt it would be a good idea to address it and, and talk about it so that we can come up with a, a solution. Um, so as far as every uh, tournament goes, uh, for a four- or five-team tournament, generally the way that at least the tournaments that I've been to is um, it'll be two on two, or I'm sorry, a game, uh, one game on one court and another game on another court. Um, so two games going on, and then the fifth team that's at the tournament will, who is who effectively has a bye that round, uh, they will supply referees to manage the games and so on and so forth. Um, but questions have been raised over how or what the proper protocol is to go over um, – to, to referee effectively and to do so without any bias and, and making sure that the game stays safe. So, Sam, uh, what kind of concerns do you have right now? Uh, I have a few. Um, first of all, I believe that for every Alex Bowman or Zygmunt Maloney you have refereeing, you have a Mike McCarthy. Um, no offense, Mike. <laughs> Just kidding. I love you, Mike. Uh, for every Mike McCarthy or Zygmunt or Bowman that you have, you have a referee that doesn't know what they're doing right now. And I don't think that's acceptable. Um, I know a lot of captains are like, well, it's my fourth year in the league. I don't feel like refereeing. I want to go have lunch. As a captain, it's part of your responsibility to referee. I'm sorry. As a captain myself, you need to be the ones refereeing because typically I would say the captains on each team are the cap- people that know the rules the most. Most experienced as well. Yeah. Uh, I think there's, like, a few exceptions out there. Like, Zygmunt wrote the rule book, and he's not the captain. But and Troy knows the rule book, I'm sure, but Zygmunt wrote it. But Right. I mean – Exceptions can be made for the person who actually wrote the rule book and probably knows the rules better than I know my own hand. Yeah, so um, what I'm saying is captains, presidents, uh, fourth-year players, fifth-year players, Ian Child players, that means you're sixth-year. Um, <laughs> well, do the ca- Referee for everybody, please. It's just polite, and it makes the games go a lot smoother. Um, the other thing I'd like to say the referees need to do is they need to, first of all, know the rules, especially the rules about giving cards. I'm not saying go crazy with giving cards to everybody, but I'm saying if you feel the need to, like, stop things from moving further than they need to, give a card. Like, that'll typically end uh, violence 
which we'll talk about later. Right. Uh, um, and you need to be able to just, you know, man up and start giving away cards and officiate correctly. And if you call somebody out, stick with your guns. Don't waver on it. Just call them out and don't let them come back in. One of the things that I would like to uh, first point out is that refereeing this sport is not easy. You have 30 people, 10 balls, and boundary, boundary lines, all and shot clocks, all to, to consider at the exact same time. For four people. For, well, right, but, I mean, yeah, but I there's, only four there's only four referees, and that, I mean, you only have one set of eyes per person. So it, it is, referees will miss a call here and there. But it is important, like Sam said, to have the most experienced people who are going to know where to look. Uh, that's really important. I know that I've seen games refereed um, where the referee, one of the referees was, was not, in my opinion, prioritizing their officiating correctly. Um, there was one moment when um, one of uh, the players who was playing on Team A, I'll call him just to avoid uh, calling out anyone in particular, Team A uh, was up at the line, and they had some people on the back line. Um, so their team was split at the neutral zone line and their baseline. And one of the people on Team A briefly stepped out of bounds for about two seconds to get a ball, and they were called out. And that was happening while Team A was up at the line throwing at Team B. So... Did the person stepping out of bounds ever so slightly technically violate a rule and should be called out? Yes, but as a referee, I would much rather them prioritize looking at the the action because, you know, hits happen, you know, they can skim people's shorts, they can skim people's feet. It's It's really hard to tell if it hit the ground first or not. So in my opinion, referees need to definitely prioritize enforcement, I guess you could say, just to make sure that that the most important aspects of the game are still respected. Uh, that doesn't mean that they should let things go that they see, but they should make sure that referees should make sure that they are paying attention to the quickest and the most difficult aspects of the game to officiate, in my opinion. Uh, yeah, I agree with that. Um, also, referees need to know their place, too, in the fact that they're not the stars of the show. Um, the players are. This happens a lot in NFL when you see stupid holding calls or stuff like that. Or happens a lot in NCAA basketball, especially at Hightower, not naming names. Um, <laughs> a little bit of Ted, Ted Valentine, not naming names. Um, Tim Higgins. Tim Higgins, not naming names. Um, but, yeah, like, you're there so everybody else can have fun and play. Like, don't just, you know, try don't to take, be – Yeah, don't take the light away from the players because you're, you're supposed to be seen, not heard. Like – you're like a kid, so, uh, yeah. Not to diminish what they're doing for us. It's just that preferably that we don't want referees deciding the outcomes of the, ga- of the games in, in, a, in, an, in an overly aggressive manner. We just want them to say, here's what I saw, and here's what happened, and this is what we need to do about it. And for the most part, a lot of the teams that Michigan State plays – the, the referees that we have have done a very good job. There's been a couple of incidents where, you know, there's been a questionable call here and there, but it really boils down to the honor system. Uh, like I said, there's so much going on at the court for only four people to watch that if a ball skims your shorts and the referee doesn't see it and the guy who threw it does, go out. I mean, it's, it's not hard to make sure that to keep the integrity of the game 
to police yourselves and and make sure that that you're being honest. That's that is the most important way, and that's the way to really step up officiating is that if if some if it's questionable and you you could have gone either way and you know your teammate says yeah you got hit or or the other guy who's who doesn't say oh you got hit after every single throw if the other guy is like i'm pretty sure i got you but it's your call you know i if that happens to me i generally go out if i especially if i'm not sure um, and that's that's i think is more important than anything else because you can see obviously your feet better than the referee can so have some integrity, have some class, and make sure that you're respecting the game like it should be respected. Which brings us to our second issue, and that's sportsmanship. I don't know if we yeah, said that, but we should probably just go into sportsmanship now. So um, I agree with you on all those points. Like, yeah, it's your call if you go out or not, so you could just stay in if the referee doesn't call you out. But as where like Ian Childs, for example, from Michigan State, I've seen him times where he didn't get hit and he just steps out because he thought he got hit. Right. Like, that's pretty honest. Like, I know it kind of screws us over times, but whatever. Um, I, I would I'd rather I'd rather have my team be honest and lose than cheat to win. I, and I'd also rather them be a little bit cautious on the side of, oh, I'm going to go out, rather than too cautious on the side of, oh, I didn't get hit. Because, I mean, this game can be a game of fractions of inches, whether it hit the ground first, hit your foot first. So I'd rather them err on the side of, you know what, I got hit than them sitting there arguing with the referee, no, I didn't get hit. No, that's not that's not legit. Yeah, and that's another thing. We'll just go – I'll just get my sports tip spiel right now. Okay. Number one, don't swear in the courts, um, please. It's kind of rude, uh, especially when there's, like, little kids around. Number two, um, don't talk to the refs if you're not a captain because, you know, especially if it's, like, a captain's meeting, don't walk into the captain's meeting unless you're, like, a player that's, like, involved in the play. But don't be like, oh, hey, I want to give my input when it's not your input to be, that people want to hear. Um, number three, uh, what was number three? Oh, no physical violence. That's a key one, I think. Uh, pretty basic. Pretty basic, I thought, but apparently not. Um, just we're all a bunch of kids. We're, I think the oldest player in the league is probably like 20-something. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, but I mean like probably like 23, 24, 25. Like, I don't think there's going to be, like, 26, 27 anymore. I think Ben Murphy and Mike Youngs are <laughs> both clear forever. Uh, and I think the youngest player is probably, like, 17, 18. So we're all the same age group. We all have the same interests. We're basically the same people. We're family. Like, Mike McCarthy always says we're his family. Uh, we're getting a lot of Mike McCarthy references in today. Um, and I feel like you guys are my family, too. Uh, but um, I just feel like you guys should – be friendly to everybody because we're all, we all should be friends. There's no reason why none of us should hate each other because we all like the same thing in dodgeball. Um, and if you think it's okay to punch somebody or push somebody or purposely run into somebody or whatever you want to do on the court, look at like the NFL, look at NBA. You punch somebody in those sports, you're suspended. You're ejected from the game. Like I know right now we technically can't suspend people. We'll talk about that later, hopefully, yeah. if we have time. Um, but it's just really looks bad on your school, looks bad on your team, looks bad on your captains, on your teammates. So don't be stupid. Just be friendly. Here's, here's my big thing with this. There is never an excuse to physically contact somebody in an aggressive nature. Um, 
I mean, there's been a guy from DePaul who, who you know, we were in the neutral zone line and, and we were goofing around and, and you know, he, maybe he accidentally shoved me or I accidentally shoved him, but we laugh about it and we high-five afterwards. You know, that's not the stuff we're talking about. There's a difference between, between being competitive and being ridiculous. I mean, we're all competitive. I've yelled at player, my own players and players on the other team on the court after every match, I always sit in that in that line, shake hands, and do everything like that. There's and we encourage competitiveness. We encourage people to light a fire under their team and get their team going. There is never ever an excuse to physically contact somebody with the intent to harm. Whether it's a push, a slap, a punch, I don't care. There is never an excuse. And and referees should help and diffuse the situation if they can, but this is not the responsibility of the referee. This is 100% the responsibility of the individual players, of uh, the captains of the teams, both teams, to get their teams to shut up. If, they escalate, if it starts to escalate, get their teams to shut up and sit down and respect the other team. That is 100% on the players and the captains. The referees should handle it if it happens with cards and potentially suspensions, but on the court, the referee needs to react to what happens. The referee, I mean, if the referee doesn't feel safe themselves, it is not their responsibility to jump in between two players. There is never, ever any excuse for somebody to throw a punch or anything of that nature. And if anybody would like to, to add to that, uh, we have a discussion going on the forum. If you have any questions or concerns, there are 10 people who are willing to, to discuss possible options with anybody, but that is the number, I feel like that's the basic number one rule of life, is don't hit people. I mean, that's like the first thing I learned in kindergarten. I don't know about everybody else. How about the number one rule is to breathe? Okay, number one rule is to breathe. Number two is don't hit people. But this, I'm surprised and a little bit disappointed that this is an issue. Um, I'm hoping that that our next topic, the governing body, is going to going to take all of whatever could be physical co what, physical contact out. I hope that it never happens again, because I mean we are playing a kids game, but realistically we are still adults and we do have some responsibility to act like adults on the court, even though we're being competitive. I mean that's I mean if my teammate ever did that, I mean. I would say, are you are you serious right now? Go and sit in a corner like a child if you're going to act like that. That's completely ridiculous. Yeah, and then the last one is uh, please don't taunt. Um, that's my last rule. Please don't taunt. You can talk trash. I don't care if you talk trash. I think there's a very big difference between talking trash and taunting. Talking trash is like a friendly, fun. Like basically, what I basically what I do with you every practice, like me and Sam Hiller, go ha go at it in practice and kind of playfully make fun of each other every practice like if he'll catch me he'll you know flex his flex his quote-unquote muscles and everything like that and and if he gets me out he'll flex his quote-unquote muscles or something like that so I mean that's all fine but there's a different like Sam said there's a big difference between taunting and trash talking yeah taunting is like almost it leads to fights breaking out and stuff like it's just being rude, disrespectful. Like it's when you're like faking, like oh, I'm gonna do something to this person, or you're swearing at them, or you're calling them names, or something. Or last year I had a referee match not naming teams, where they're calling each other homophobic slurs. It's just like, well, that's just not cool. Like, don't do that. Um, talking trash is like 
nice catch when they drop the catch or like flexing your muscles like I do when I hit somebody because I don't throw hard. So if I hit you, I'm going to flex my muscles from now on. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so we'll go into governing body possibility. Um, that was an idea brought up by Zach Brown when he called me on the phone. Um, it'd be to just determine some things because right now we don't really have a rule, a way to like suspend players or like discipline people or to even enforce some of the rules. Like we just we just can't because we're a group of clubs. We're like the states before they became the United States. We're a bunch of colonies right now. So, um, thank you. I'm a history major, so I should get that one. Um, but we need like something that can like keep us organized, keep us together. And I think a governing body of what I said was right now the the teams broken into regions. There's the Michigan region, Ohio region, Kentucky, Illinois, and the East. I think that's all of them. So if you took like two captains from each of them, then I think you could have a good group of individuals that would lead. And uh, maybe like if it's like an issue involving Michigan State, if I was on the board, I wouldn't partake in that issue because then there would be some bias. But um, I think it would be a good fair way to determine things or like things like uh, right now we don't have a way to determine Mm -hmm. our rankings, which is something we'll talk about later. Like it's technically just on the – yeah. Yeah. Like anything that's nationals related is basically done by the nationals host. So, right. yeah. So, what do you think about this? I think that that it's a really good idea to do. Um, I think we have to make sure that, like you said, the rankings. I mean, Zach Brown, great guy, but if he wanted to, he could just say, "Oh, Michigan State re- record is 0 and 20, and give us the worst seat at nationals." And you know, there. Would I'm not saying he would do this, but there, I mean, there would be nothing to to prevent him because it's his tournament and he's running it. Um, so I think with with a standardized set of rankings, a standardized set of rules that can be nationally enforced and not just enforced as a referee on the court, I think that would be really valuable. Um, obviously, you don't want to give so-called governing body power to you know kick a team out of the league, I think that would, unless, you know, they do something completely ridiculous, but I think that, that uh, the scope should be should be somewhat limited to start off. Um, I think that suspensions are definitely within the wheelhouse of this. I think that, um, you know, r- not disal- dis- disallowing yeah. wins um, based on certain circumstances, I think that's within the wheelhouse. I think that preventing teams from playing in a certain tournament or a certain match, I think that would be something that is at least for discussion. I'm not saying that the governing body should at least, should for sure have ability to do that. I'm saying that we should talk about it and make sure that, that that's an avenue we explore. Um, so I would like, and, and it can't, obviously it can't just be made up of eight Grand Valley players or eight Michigan State players or eight Kent State players. You know, it's got to be a representative from, from each region or two um, to make sure that that whatever decision is handed down by this governing body is definitely going to be fair and just and something that that most people would agree with um, without, you know, having bias. Yeah, I agree. Um, Just needs to be something that can keep the league organized, keep everybody in check, you know, just not ruin the game for everybody. Because right now there's – like if some team wanted to, they could just be a bunch of thugs and just beat up on everybody – and then come to the next match, do the same thing over and over and over again. That's not going to happen. All right. Nobody is stupid enough to do that, but um, it's something that could happen, like, theoretically, just like how with the rankings, some teams could theoretically 
just beat up on a team over and over and over and over and over. Like LCC was still a team. Michigan State could just play them every day and get number one rankings. Um, or, like, for example, uh, what was the other example I had? Oh, yeah, I got the other one. Um, no, I don't. I lost it. All right, that's fine. Um, I just think it's important that um, right now we don't have the, the bona fide governing body, but – as captains and as tournament coordinators, if you need, if you, if, you know, if DePaul, you know, said, hey, you know what, we really had a lousy time playing Michigan State. They weren't respectful, you know, they weren't this and they did this, then it is completely reasonable of DePaul to say, hey, I don't want to invite Michigan State to the Chicago Dodgeball Open. You know, uh, that would be completely reasonable, and I would encourage that. And, you know, if Grand Valley said, you know, I heard that DePaul thought that Michigan State was being really, really rude and really mean to them, so we're not going to invite them to Grand Valley next time we have a tournament. That I mean, that's sort of the, the self-policing, you know, quote-unquote kangaroo court that, that we have right now, and especially in the absence of a, a formal governing body, I think that captains and tournament organizers should take advantage of that because, you know, nobody wants to only play two matches all year. Sometimes it happens, but people want to get out and people want to play because, you know, we're, we're expanding as a league. We're, we're reaching to different parts of the country, and it's a lot of fun. I enjoy going, you know, I mean, I hate the drive, but I enjoy going down to Kentucky, somewhere I've never been before, and playing in a tournament. You know, that's, that's fun for me, but, you know, if someone on my team ruined it for me, I'd be pretty annoyed with them, and possibly, you know, we'd talk about kicking them off the team if they were being disrespectful. So, uh that I think would be a very effective way to make sure that in the absence of a governing body for the short term, I think that captains and tournament organizers can do that just to make sure that people are still staying in line and, and not stepping on anyone's toes. Yeah, I agree. And we'll be back in a hot second with Andy Lieblick, who is number 20 for Michigan State, in case you're wondering who he was. Uh, he's our guy that catches everything, um, other than me. So... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, We'll uh, we'll come back with him and talk about the new ranking systems that have been popping up, and hopefully we'll get something cool that everybody likes. So thanks. And we're back here with Andy Lieblick, number twenty on MSU's dodgeball team. He has developed uh, uh, an RPI system that is similar to the one in college. So I'm going to hand off the microphone to him so he can explain what the hell is going on. Thank you, Mike. Um, the uh, RPI formula I developed it's based off uh, the NCAA uh, basketball. RPI formula, the only, only difference is for the basketball version, they take into account uh, away wins and home wins. So the away wins uh, would be worth more than the home wins. But I didn't want to include that because if a team's going to go through the trouble of hosting a tournament, I don't think they should have been pe- penalized for it. Uh, basically how it works is uh, it takes uh, your team's winning percentage, multiplies it by 0.25. Your opponent's winning percentage multiplies it by 0.5 and your opponent's opponent's winning percentage and multiplies it by 0.25 and adds it all together. Uh, the main strength of this formula is it takes into account uh, the strength of schedule. So, uh, for example, say Team A is undefeated, but the teams they played uh, weren't very good. But Team B is also undefeated, and they had a lot harder schedule. And then Team C comes along, and they beat Team A and, B t- and Team B. Then... Team C is going to get uh, more uh, value out of beating Team B. Okay. All right, sweet. 
So other than that, we had another potential formula come up, and that is uh, done by Felix Peroni of um, Western Kentucky. Uh, his is uh, based on you get points for how good your opponent's win percentage is. So if your opponent's win percentage is 100%, it's uh, four points. If you get um, like 0.75 to 0.99999999, it's 3.5 points, so on and so forth, all the way down to a win against a team with a win percentage of zero is 2.5 points. You also get points for going to an overtime game. You just get a loss. If you get an overtime loss, you still get a point. And if you lose, you lose points. So if you lose a team with a 100% win percentage, you lose 1.25 points. But if you lose a team with a zero win percentage, you lose two points. So basically it comes down to um, – no matter who you beat, you still get it. Your strength of schedule matters for this one, but it's not your opponent's strength of schedule isn't your opponent's opponent's strength of schedule is not what really matters. I know I'm doing a bad job. I'm sorry, Felix. Um, but uh, you can also go into the negatives, which I don't really like um, because I think it just makes the teams feel bad if they lose. <laughs> so um, Matt Gonzalez from Nebraska actually had a good example about Felix's system and said Texas A&M's wins over Alabama and Louisiana Tech would be considered equal as they are both 9-1. But using RPI, we see that Alabama's schedule is tougher than the Louisiana Tech schedule. So I think it comes down to who you think is – which um, – rankings you think are good or which rankings you don't like i think both of them are much better than the current system of nhl style points which is you get two points for a win one point for an overtime loss and mike vanner would like to talk about that so the nhl style isn't necessarily bad if if all the teams in the nation had a standard amount of games but since there are some teams who only play one game a year and there are some teams who play 25 or 30 games a year that's why you know that's why it doesn't work as well you know in the NHL they all play the exact same amount of games so they all have the exact same amount of opportunities to get a win so theoretically Michigan State could play a team you know from Okemos uh hey Kevin win uh and beat up on them you know 15 times a year in addition to 10 other wins from other schools and have 25 points and not particularly deserve the number one ranking just because their strength of schedule isn't really that hard. So I think this is going to be a lot. So even it'll still reward people for playing um, playing games, and that's still definitely going to be encouraged in the league. Uh, but it's definitely going to take into account who you play and how often you play them, um, just to make sure that that people aren't just getting a set amount of points for every win, it's it's taking into account, oh, well, how many wins does this team have? So I think that's really valuable uh, to make sure that that this, the system is more accurately reflecting who's the actual number one team in the nation and who's the actual, you know, number 10 team in the nation. Because seeding in Nationals is is on the line, basically, for this. And, and you know, Nationals Day 1, you know, that can, I mean, it's not the most important, it's not the most important day, but it's a day that, you know, if you have a really tough schedule and you burn out all your power arms, you're going to go into day two, you know, the first game, and you're going to barely be able to lift your arm up above your head because you're so tired. So I think that if you if you really earn the number two or the number three spot in the nation and a little bit easier time at nationals, I think that's going to be a lot more valuable. Which is I think which is why I think this uh, this type of RPI, whether it be Andy's or Felix's system, should be in place. 
Yeah, and then Felix also had another alternative, which is to take Andy's RPI, um, his system, which I don't think has the name, uh, the current hockey style uh, points, and what we did way back in the day, which is win loss percentage, which is a terrible thing, but it's better than when we had voting, which was even worse. <laughs> um, and I'll go over the quick standings for all of them, and we'll see like you know a little bit of a difference to see what people like. Uh, top five for these. Um, and in style points are Kent State, Kentucky, Michigan State, James Madison, Saginaw Valley. For the RPI, the top five are – one second. Michigan State, Kentucky, James Madison, Grand Valley, and Kent State. And for Felix's system, it's James Madison, Kentucky, Michigan State, Grand Valley, Kent State. So you see there's a pretty big difference between all three of them. They usually have the same five schools in there, but uh, it makes a little bit of a difference. And who's where? And if you merge all merge all four rankings together, you get Kentucky number one, Michigan State number two, James Madison number three, Kent State number four, and Grand Valley number five, which I think is a pretty accurate, pretty accurate reading of how the teams should be right now. So yeah, I think it's pretty close. Um, it just it just makes sure that that every potential factor is being considered you know hockey style points which which some people like um but also strength of schedule i mean it's i guess it's the best of both worlds so if that were what to be vote what was to be voted on i think that would be a, a good compromise if people really don't like one or the other i think that that would definitely be a, a good situation yeah and I, I personally i feel like the rpi is probably the best like individual formula we have right now just because it's gonna mix of strength of schedule and stuff you have something to say <laughs> He was just happy that we, we picked his uh, his formula. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm not just picking it because it's Andy's, but um, that's just a, like maybe 1% of the 100%. But um, I just feel like it's a good uh, way to say that every team is good or everything, you know. I don't know where I'm going with this. It's but just, It just makes sure that, that no one team is being taken advantage of and make sure that nobody's taking advantage of one team, yeah. um, which – you know, I mean, this is dodgeball. It's college dodgeball. It's supposed to be fun. You know, nobody wants to sit in front of a firing squad all day and just get destroyed. So it's gonna it's gonna give a little bit more incentive for teams to to branch out and play some teams that that they don't play very often and who are gonna give them a good challenge. Yeah, I agree. Um, other than that, I think that's it that for was, us today. It was a good productive uh, productive podcast. Yeah, and I think we kept it at. 35 minutes, so you guys should all be happy. So thanks for listening, and we'll see you in about a week or two. Thanks.